All right, well, if you were here last Sunday at uh, Rock Valley Bible Church, you experienced something uh, rather unique in the life of, of our church. I didn't preach the sermon that I had prepared. Uh, I preached a sermon that I prepared about 30 minutes before the service. And, and really, the only other time I'd ever done that before was, I remember it was about a decade ago, and we had some sort of like business meeting sort of service where, Ray, you presented the different funds we had, and it just kind of went long because we spent some time praying, thankful, thanking God for how He has provided for us at church. And uh, just as things got longer and, and longer, I felt like I didn't want to preach my sermon I prepared, but Ray mentioned the adoption fund, and so I, I just spoke about uh, adoption and our adoption fund and uh, how we as a church are trying to trying to triumph or, or champion that cause with uh, 1% of all giving going to uh, future adoptions, people in our church or people in uh, other churches, how we see fit. But that 1% of undesignated giving just goes to someone's adoption somehow, some way. Um, but, you know, as I think about why did I do that, and it was just in the process of the service um, that, that the adoption fund was there, and I just felt like I just needed to speak about that. Well, last Sunday I did about the same thing, but it wasn't during the service, it was during the prayer meeting. It just really struck. We went over Psalm 20 in the prayer meeting, talked about it just a, a little bit, uh, and, and then, you know, thinking about Afghanistan and how applicable it was and how particularly even the psalm was a call to pray for those in distress. I pray the Lord will answer you in your distress. And so it just fit in perfectly for us to pray. And so I preached this sermon called, We Trust in the Name of the Lord Our God, a prayer for Afghanistan. And I just want to share with you, like during the prayer meeting, I really was, was fighting this. It's not the easiest thing to stand and speak on a, a topic that you're not really well prepared for. Um, in some regards, it took me 30 minutes to preach that message. In other regards, it took me 54 years to prepare to preach that message. As many times when you preach, it's just a, a whole life that prepares for that. But it was, it was difficult because it's, it's uh, easy to speak what I prepared, sort of. Um, but it's very difficult if I haven't, if I, if I feel really unprepared. Uh, and also, I, I like to be clear when I speak. Don't want to waste your time. And without notes, I can kind of meander, and that's that's danger. Um, but as I wrestled with it, I really felt like it was the Lord just telling me to step out of my comfort zone, really urging me that. Now, I'm not a charismatic type. You guys know that. Um, it's not like I'm claiming at all. God told me this, or God told me that. In fact, if you hear people say that, be wary of what they say that, because oftentimes, listen, if I tell you God told me this, who are you to argue with me? It's like the trump card, the Christian trump card you can pull out, like I want to do something. Well, if God told me to do that, then I'm going to do it. And you can't argue, you can't say anything against that. So that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there was a strong urging in my heart last week to, to do that. And in some ways, I felt like not to preach that message would be to go against the Lord's stirring. Like, like maybe when you think about that, you have, you have an opportunity to speak or say something, right? And your heart just starts beating. You start saying, I just need to talk. I just need to say this. I think that's what happened to me last week. And who was I that I could stand in God's way? Well, this morning as we come to our text in uh, Acts chapter 11, 1 through 18, we're going to find Peter giving his explanation for something that for him was outside of his comfort zone as well. The Lord had really spoken to him and called him to go and to stay at the house of Cornelius and preach the gospel to him and his friends and his relatives. Now, if you understand anything about the culture of the New Testament, you understand how far out that was. In the days of the New Testament, Jews and Gentiles did not mix with each other at all. 
In fact, they had very little dealings with each other. The, the Jews saw the Gentiles as unclean people whose touch would defile you. Speaking of the Samaritans, who were like half-Jews, in John 4, verse 9, we read, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, and much less the Gentiles. You could say the Jews had no dealings with the Gentiles in uh, times of the New Testament. Yet, here was Peter with a divine vision that he saw telling him to go to the home of a Roman centurion. And this man was not only he was a Gentile, but he was also a military commander of the very people who were oppressing the Jews. Like a, a, a double whammy. It'll make one thing if it's a, a Gentile, uh, but it's another thing to have a Gentile who commands others who dominate your people. And it wasn't something Peter wanted to do. It's not something that he planned to do. Um, it's not something he looked forward to for weeks and months. Oh, I get to go to Cornelius' house today. No, rather he was up in his house praying as he probably always did there at noon. And then he had this vision and he understood that he needed to go. In fact, I do believe that the only way he ever would have gone to the house of Cornelius was through the working of the hand of God. And that's what we, we find in, in Peter's life. We, 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 we see the hand of God working to go to Caesarea, to this Gentile city, to this home of Cornelius, and preach the gospel to him. And we see the hand of God working, and the, the Gentiles believed, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they were baptized, they were welcomed into the church, and it caused quite a stir, as we will see in our, our text this morning. But Peter was under such conviction that this was the right thing to do, that he told those who questioned his coming, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Acts chapter 11, verse 17. It's from that verse. I get the title of my message this morning, Don't Stand in God's Way. And really, this is where I want to draw a line of application for you all. Just really encourage you not to stand in God's way. You know, see, there, there are opportunities in our life where we are prompted of the Lord to speak and to say some things. And, and particularly, even people about Jesus, tell people about Christ. But because it's out of your comfort zone, maybe you've not talked to people before. Maybe you haven't shared the gospel with people in your life. It's just easier to be silent. But I can stand here today 100% confidence that God's will is for you to tell other people about Jesus. And and sometimes in in refusing to go and refusing to talk, you actually are, are standing in God's way. I mean, that's the main point of the book of Acts. Is it not be my witnesses? Jesus is calling us to be a witness for Jesus, for him, to others about him. I mean, this is, in fact, this is, if you think about it, this is how God builds his kingdom. He builds his kingdom by God's people talking with others about Jesus. And we open our mouths, tell others, that's how God does his work. And in fact, I, I've got an alarm on my phone, which goes off every day at, uh, at 10.02 in the morning. And to the best of my ability, oftentimes I will just stop. I will say, set a timer for a minute, and I will get up, whatever I'm doing, and I will kind of walk around my office if, I, if I'm there, if I'm driving, wherever I am. And I just will, for one minute, will quote Luke chapter 10, verse 2. It says, Jesus' words, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray that the Lord would raise up labors for his harvest. And so, uh, like at that point, I say, uh, I just drop my phone. I say, God, this is a prayer that I know you want me to pray because Jesus asked me to pray this prayer. Realizing that there's a world that's lost in sin out there. 
And, and I know I can speak with other people, but I can only do a little bit. The harvest is so plentiful that I can only do a little bit. But God, I'm praying for you, and I pray for you at Rock Valley Bible Church, that God would stir you to speak in your mouth, to be bold, to talk to others about Jesus. And that's really the point of application this morning, is what, is what Jesus, is what Peter did. In fact, this is what we see in the book of Acts. We see the apostles just, just preaching forth and telling others about Jesus and then God doing His work. We've seen them telling others right about the basic outline of Jesus. life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, and then His exaltation. Just telling about the life of Jesus. Result, the Lord built His church. Peter opened his mouth on the day of Pentecost. And he said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Right here, this Jesus, he lived, but he crucified, he died, and he's been raised, he is made, both Lord and Christ, he's now exalted at the right hand of God, and he's the one you have to deal with. As a result of Peter opening his mouth on the day of Pentecost, thousands came to faith. And so many were coming to faith, and it, it disturbed the religious authorities, who rebuked the apostles, told them not to speak any more in the name of Jesus, and they continued on. Even though they were flogged for preaching in the name of Jesus, they continued to do so, and the church continued to do to grow as well. Acts chapter 6 verse 7, the word of God continued to increase and the numbers of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And how'd they do that? Just through word of mouth, just through people speaking. And the apostles were bold to do that, even way out of their comfort zone. I'm, I'm sure Stephen wasn't particularly like in his comfort zone when he preached to, to the people and he confronted them and he was actually stoned to death. And that then became the very thing that, that pushed the people out of Jerusalem and push them out to the, the different parts of uh, the surrounding regions, Judea and Samaria. And we see Philip going to both those places, Samaria and, and Judea, and, and continuing going out and speaking with others about Jesus. And that's what, in fact, that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's a record of the believers in the early church being a witness for Jesus and seeing the Lord build His church. And when we keep silent, and, and when we don't speak, it may be that we are standing in God's way. We're not, we're not telling people what we need to do. So don't stand in God's way. Open your mouth and tell others of Jesus. That's what Peter did, and that's what I'm encouraging you as well. So Acts chapter 11, 1 through 18. Let me just read it for you now. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. He said, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a, a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts and prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And, and behold, at the very moment, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, 
justice on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted the repentance that leads to life. Well, the first event that we see in our text is, is found in verse 1. I'm simply calling it the news spreads. Um, so we're going to just look at, at four different events here in the, the text. And we, we read in verse 1, Now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And I would say the news spread, the news spread quickly, but really that's, that's all relative. Uh, Gary Lundberg told the story today about how he was a, a missionary in, in France and uh, just had some medical difficulties, and it took about a week in order for those events to take place and then for him to write something up and to get letters back to someone in America who was praying for them. Um, and word of mouth news then spread quickly, except not quite in our days where we see things spread super quickly. It's It spread. But what spread? Well, what, what spread is chapter 10 and verse 45 of how the believers from among the circumcised had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And so what was spread is about Peter went to be with the Gentiles and then the Holy Spirit came upon them and, and, and those six men who had come with Peter were, were amazed and shocked at this and, and so amazed and shocked they were that they told others about what was happening. I mean, they, 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 they were experienced. They saw the Holy Spirit coming. They, they saw the speaking in tongues. They observed the Gentiles extolling God. And they were amazed. And, and so they, they spoke. In fact, this is how it works, right? If you are amazed at something, you will speak about it. Uh, I mean, you can't help but to speak with others about the things that you have seen and heard if you're amazed. So, like, like say if you watch the Olympics, right? And some great athletic performance you saw. You, you like talk to others about that. Oh, or, or some ball game, right? You just see that great play. Or, or, or something that happened on the athletic field, you do that. Or whether it's a fire in a house next door. I was talking to Mike Brooks, and he said, hey, there's a fire over here. Right? It looks like chem to a fire. I mean, it does not, I didn't think it looked that big, but it was a big, like maybe there's a house burning like maybe a mile away. So you can check that out later. I stepped out and saw it. There's, there's something burning. But he was amazed. He was caught by that. Did you see that? No. I hadn't. Or maybe some new piece of technology. Maybe you got some iPhone or some, some gadget or some cool-looking mouse like Tim Iverson has to do some 3D graphics. That's like new for me, old for you, but it's like, wow, that's a really cool technology. I'm amazed, right? Or, or maybe it's people in Afghanistan hanging on the side of a jet feeling that I'd rather be here and try to grab on and, and hang on than to face life with the Taliban. Right? But you're amazed at that. That, that kind of drove me to, to preach last Sunday when I, I just saw what happened, was amazed at what took place. Whenever you're amazed, you'll speak and tell others. And that's what happened here. They were amazed. If you look in, in chapter 10 and verse 45, the believers from among the circumcision come with Peter were amazed at what happened. That the, the Jews had gone to the Gentiles and the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. And I just say, you want to be a witness for Jesus? You want to speak for Jesus? Then be amazed at the, the grace that's come to you in Christ. Of the amazing grace that's in Jesus. That once you were lost, but now you're found. Once you were blind, but now you see that God saved a wretch like me. You get amazed at that, and you can't help but to speak that with others. 
When you're amazed, you'll talk. And that's what happened here. That those who'd come with Peter could not help but speak with others of the things that they had seen and heard. And then, as I'm sure, as they, they went back then to Joppa. They, they, were, they were talking with those in Joppa. And then maybe some businessmen came in and they were talking with them. And pretty soon the news reached Judea. And pretty soon then the news reached back into Jerusalem. I mean, once you hear the Holy Spirit coming, the grand events like that, it's going to spread quickly. And as it got back to Jerusalem and as it went all around, I'm sure the reactions were mixed. I'm sure some were confused. Like, how is it the Holy Spirit could come on the Gentiles? They weren't the chosen people. Like, how, how does that work? I, th- I think some were rejoicing. They understood the heart of God and the mission of God and, and the call of the Old Testament, even that, that God's name would go and that Abraham's blessing would be to all the families of the earth. Or, or, or maybe some would be angry. The Gentiles, well, they're scum. They have no right to the gospel. The gospel is only for the Jews. Some people thought that, and, and particularly people thought that, were the circumcision party, which we see in verses 2 and 3. With my second point, the criticism comes. The news went out. Peter then, because all this news went out, Peter went up to Jerusalem and the circumcised party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. That's a a statement, but it's more a question. Like, you you really did this? And, And you can almost hear the tone. You went to the uncircumcised men and you ate with them? Like, just super offended that they would even do this. And even you can expand upon that. Like, that is so wrong. We are kosher Jews. We don't defile ourselves in that way. Peter, you should know such a thing. Why would you do such a thing? It's unlawful and it's wrong. And now you're unclean and now you're displeasing to God was the implication and I think the best comparison for us to understand what's going on here is, is really segregation that took place in our nation, the South, after the Civil War. Yes, black people are set free, but Plessy v. Ferguson, Supreme Court case, 1896, established a principle in our land that we would be separate but equal. Legal basis for separation. So you'd have white neighborhoods and colored neighborhoods. You would have white drinking fountains and colored drinking fountains. You would have white bathrooms and colored bathrooms. You had white seats on the bus and colored seats on the bus. All under the law. And the Jews and the Gentiles had this similar similar law. that They said, well, the, the Jews are here and the Gentiles are here and, and never shall they meet. Like Jews and Gentiles of the first century, white people and colored people didn't meet. Until the animosity between the races came to a head December 1st, 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama, when Rosa Parks, who sat in the colored section of the bus, refused to obey the bus driver when a white man came and demanded that she stand to make room for him in the colored section because the white section was full to get there. And she'd had enough. And she refused to stand. She was arrested, locked in jail, booked for her crime and fined. And just the arrest of Rosa Parks is an indication of the racial tension existed in our country and still exists. May the Lord heal our divisions. Now, in, in Peter's day, segregation was in full force. And, and really, you had two factors going on. First, you had the, the Jewish centricity of the Old Testament, where God, 
God chose the people of Israel, the Jews. And God instructed them, you keep separate from the Gentiles. Don't mix with them. Don't intermarry with them. And separation was ingrained in the heart and soul of every Jew. Now, to be sure, Gentiles could come into the Jewish community, but only so far and only on terms of the Jews. If you want to come into the temple, you need to stay in the outer courts, right? You're not allowed here. Colored people are not allowed in the white section, right? We're we're okay. You You can't come clear there. And, and, and so that's one, the, the Jewish centricity of the Old Testament. But another one was Roman occupation of land of Israel. The Jews hated the Romans. They were the military rule over there, called their shots, made their rules. The, the Jews were forced to pay taxes to the Romans who would use their money to rule over the Jews. The Jews hated the Gentiles. And, and that's why Peter was criticized. Why did you go to those people? And, and notice who was saying it. It was the, the circumcision party. These were the Jews who held strictly to the Old Testament. They believed they must be circumcised to be saved. After all, circumcision was the entrance into the Old Covenant. It must be the entrance into the New Covenant as well. And, and we'll see that a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 15 as they try to resolve some of this. But they were not happy that, that Peter brought the gospel of the Gentiles. The criticism comes, and finally, in verses 4 through 17, Peter explains what he did. Again, I'll just read this again. Verse 4, Peter began... And explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa, praying. And in a trance I saw a vision, something like a green sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. We heard this before? Have we? Well, we heard it in chapter 10. Um, It's actually the the third time that we've heard this. In chapter 10, we heard it as, as Peter was explaining what was taking place. And then later in chapter 10, the second part, when when he and Cornelius met up, Peter again explained what took place, and Cornelius explained what took place. So this is really the the third time that Peter's saying these things, and and it really is important then. Like any time something in the Bible is repeated again and again, it's it's probably repeated with intent. It's no accident. There are four accounts of the life of Jesus because his life was important. And so likewise here we see... This is the third time, right? We understand this, this sheet like a tra- like a, a, this sheet coming down, the four corners. And as Peter looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. He found all these unclean animals. And he said in verse 7, I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But of course Peter wasn't going to do that. He was a kosher Jew. He wasn't going to touch those unclean things, those unclean foods. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. He was a strict Jew. He'd never tasted pork. He never tasted seashells. He never had shrimp. Just never, ever. It's not even a temptation. It wasn't even in the culture. He couldn't really buy it at the Jewish store or shop. And so he, he didn't. But the voice came. What God has made clean, do not call common. And it's three times. What God has made clean, do not call common. As he's contemplating that, he says in verse 11, Behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent, sent to me from Caesarea. And here it is, right? The Lord stirring him to go. Right? Stirring in his heart. And, and, and for him not to go would be to stand in God's way. But as the Spirit said told me to go with them, and I believe this is probably audible. It's probably the Spirit said, Peter, go. And he's one. He could say, yes, God spoke with me, to me. 
And they said, go with them. And here it is, making no distinction. And and they're right. That that what might be separated, you come and you join together without distinction. And so these six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the house. And so here we find that there were six other Jews who then went with him. right? Because if you do something, maybe it's out of your comfort zone, you really want to check to make sure that it's, uh, it's of the Lord. And so they came. And... He, that is Cornelius, told us about this vision, how he had seen an angel stand in his house. They send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He didn't know who Simon was called Peter was. In fact, he was just told that he was, he was living in the house of Simon, the, the tanner by the sea. And it says this, verse 14, He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So here's this message that's going to come. So Cornelius had some anticipation that this salvation message is going to come to him. But Peter's the guy, and that's why he gathered around his friends and his family. And they were so eager to come. It's chapter 10 and verse 34 that says, We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. We are here, we're ready, we have open hearts because you're going to speak this message of salvation. They were totally primed for that. And Peter says, as I began to speak, that is, as he was in his introduction of his sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I then that I could stand in God's way? Here's a story we've heard. Several times, really, our third time now that we've heard the story. It's really the, the turning point in the book of Acts. Because after these events, in Acts, the gospel is going to go and penetrate deep into Gentile territory. Just in, in Acts chapter 13, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit set apart Barnabas and Paul for his work, his mission to go out and, and, and to travel across the sea and, and to go to Asia Minor to begin to spread the gospel, especially among the Gentile churches. And in Acts 15, we see the the second missionary journey going out. And we're just going to see it expand and expand and expand, mostly to Gentile churches. Places where where Jews were there, but they reject the message. And then the Gentiles come. It's a Gentile church. And really the the turning point really in in the book of, of Acts. And Peter just tells what happened there. And the key point here is that the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers in Caesarea just like they did in Jerusalem. In fact, that's the point. Look at verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us in the beginning. If you write in your Bibles, be good. Put Acts 2 there. Acts 2 was Pentecost. You remember what happened in Pentecost, right? This is the image that we have used, this, this chaotic flames of fire and this tongues coming down and the wind rushing through and and languages not known to the speaker spoken plainly for the natives to understand here are romans right who spoke latin speaking out perfect aramaic or or hebrew right they'd never studied that before they were gentiles but here they were speaking their hebrew and these tongues were there in his fulfillment of jesus words in acts chapter 1 verse 4 jesus had prophesied and told um peter and the apostles that john baptized with water but you'll be baptized with the holy spirit and not many days from now. That was fulfilled at Pentecost, and the same thing happened at Caesarea. God's working was obvious to all. And Peter says, God is working, and if, if God gave, verse 17, God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? 
Everything that Jews experienced at Pentecost, Cornelius and his family was experiencing in the home in Caesarea. And the Lord at this point was clearly opening a way for the Gentiles to be saved by faith. And Peter's saying, what, what, what then could I do to stand in God's way? And in some regards, they say, well, like, 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 what more could I do? Like, I wasn't going to stop them. It's interesting here that uh, when, when Peter then, at that point, when they, when they were speaking of God, look at chapter 10 and verse 26, Peter's account is, is this, when his, inter, when his uh, uh, just speaking his introduction, the, <clears throat> the key verse probably, chapter 10 and verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. As soon as he spoke about forgiveness of sins through Jesus, let's see, here we go. Well, that's what happened there. As soon as he preached about forgiveness of sins through Jesus, that's when they believed and that's when the the Holy Spirit fell upon them. That's when they repented. And, And then he's like, verse 47, he says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Have received the Holy Spirit as we have, right? Can anyone like you, Gentile, his Jewish friends, like they've received the Holy Spirit? Can, is it okay to baptize them? I mean, that's what Christians do when they believe in Christ; they're baptized in water, and there was no objection. So he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and and then he remained on for several days because he was asked. And there was this was what I could do. I was not going to stop them. I was not going to lay on them heavy burdens. This was, was God. And so we just saw them baptized. I wasn't going to get in God's way. Verse 17. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? You know, remember, Peter tried that before. Remember when Peter got in the way? It was first revealed to him. Matthew 16, verse 21. Jesus said that he must go to Jerusalem and must suffer many things. From the elders and chief priests and scribes, how he's going to be killed and raised the third day. You remember when Peter first heard that message, what he did? He said, Peter took him aside, right? Began to rebuke him and saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You're never going to go up to Jerusalem and suffer these things and die. That was standing in God's way. And yet, what did Jesus say then to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You are hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And here in Acts 11, we see Peter learning his lesson. He's not going to stand in God's way. He's not going to place upon the Gentiles some undue burden. He's going to embrace them as fellow believers. He simply required their their baptism. He didn't require circumcision. He didn't require law-keeping. He accepted their faith as genuine And the good news of this, verse 18, is that those who heard Peter's explanation, those who were critical initially, accepted his explanation. Verse 18. And when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Here's, here's my last point this morning. The last event is that God is, is glorified. This is where the, the news spreads. This criticism comes. Peter explains it. And then when it's all explained, God is glorified. At first, they were stunned. They were quiet. They, they didn't know what to say, like processing this thing through. And then after a little bit, they glorified God, probably saying somewhat silently, well, then the Gentiles also, God has granted the repentance that leads to life. Now, it's interesting in this circumstance, I'm not sure these Jewish people really wanting this or desiring this. Um, maybe not exactly this way. Going against the cultural customs of the day, did, did Peter 
even maybe going against their theology of the, the circumcision party, but, but God's word was so clear, what, what happened was clear. And Peter said, well, the, the, the people from the circumcision party glorified God. They gave God the glory for it. And I rejoice how they discerned God's will in this. They said, to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's great theology, isn't it not? That God grants repentance. You realize that your entire salvation, if you're saved, you're trusting in Christ today, is totally a gift of God. It's totally God's grace. You had zero to do with it. It was all God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. Unless we say, well, at least I hold on to my faith. No, no, no. By grace you've been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Your faith is a gift of God. Otherwise, it's not grace. Grace comes, grants you faith, opens your eyes so you can see, changes you from the inside out. It says, not as a result of the works that no one can boast. God gives faith. And here, God grants repentance to the Gentiles. Also, God has granted repentance that leads to life, a turning from their sin and a trusting in the Savior. I think a, a good verse for that also, 2 Timothy two twenty four and 25, when Paul's instructing Timothy as his protege in the faith, he says, The Lord's servant, that is you, Timothy, a pastor, must not be quarrelsome, but you must be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting your opponents with gentleness. And God may, perhaps, grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So a pastor's job is to be gentle, not, not quarrelsome, patiently enduring evil, just patiently giving others the word. If perhaps God may grant them repentance that they may come to the knowledge of the truth. Right? So as we speak with others about Jesus, it's not our responsibility to, to see them change. It's our responsibility to, to bring forth the message of Christ and trust that God will grant the repentance. I mean, that's good news, that, that God gives faith, that God gives repentance, and God gives us salvation. Titus 3, 4 and 5, when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's all of God. God saves us. God is the one that transforms us. But it all comes when someone opens their mouth, and then God opens the heart to hear. Let's not stand in God's way of that. I just want to close this morning by, by considering the, the story of Esther. Just read the story of, of Esther recently, and she became queen of Persia, the difficult time for the life of the Jews, because the Jews were, were hated by some of the Persians, and particularly a, a high official in charge, a man named Haman, had coerced the king to sign with his seal, signet ring or whatever, on the 13th day of the 12th month, Jews were free game. You could kill any of them on that day. You could take anything that you wanted from their house for plunder for your house. It was like a day of national slaughter was established for the Jewish people. And Mordecai, Esther's relative, I think a a cousin who actually became her her father figure, um, heard about this destruction of the Jew day is what it was. And so he sent a a message to her saying this. says, do you do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any of the other Jews. So she's in the palace, he's on the streets, he hears the word in the streets about this destruction, and says, Esther, 
Don't think you're going to escape this because you're the queen. You're a Jew like anyone else. And it says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. I love that. Esther, if you don't say anything, God's going to protect the Jews because the Jews are God's people and deliverance is going to come from someplace. Whether it's going to come from your mouth, if it doesn't come from your mouth, if you stand in God's way and are quiet, then it's going to come from someone else's mouth. The rise for the Jews, deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. And this is Mordecai to Esther. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai knew the Lord would sustain his people, but it might come through Esther or it might not. Esther merely needs to open her mouth and speak. And you know, this is the reality how God builds his church. We don't have to fear about the Lord not building his church. We can stand confidently. Jesus has promised to build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The question, though, is whether he will use us in that process or whether we will stand in God's way and not speak with other people about that. See, we're called to speak with others and tell them about Jesus that the word may spread. But if we're silent, God will build his church his way without us. Deliverance will come another way. And so then Esther then replied to Mordecai, she, out of her comfort zone for sure, that she's got to go in and, and meet, ask, uh, ask presence with the king or ask um, ability to come into the king. And if the king doesn't lower her scepter, like she's going to die. And so fearful of that and fearful of what's going to happen there. And so she said this, she says, Go gather all the Jews we found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not or eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So in other words, she said, I'm willing to speak, but I might die. But I'm willing not to stand in God's way and stop it. I'm willing to go out and at least speak. And I just encourage you as you think about this theme of Acts to be my witnesses, that, that you'd be like Esther, right? Maybe you're scared and maybe you've got some trepidation. All you, it's going to happen is you're just going to be rejected by people, maybe a broken relationship. For Esther, she was going to die. For you, it's far less. But I just, I just ask, will you speak with others and will you be a witness of Jesus? I think that's what this text calls us to do an application because this is the very text that opens up the door of opportunity for, evangel- for evangelism among the Gentiles. As God's Spirit works then among them. Just pray that God would do that in our church. Let's pray. Well, Father, I do pray for us. I, I pray, God, that we would not stand in your way. God, but that, that all who are willing to come, we would embrace. God, that we would be willing to speak 